I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to that very familiar passage of Scripture from John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we're going to pick up at verse 14. So John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Where John writes, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Those who believe in Him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Such a familiar scripture, John chapter 3. We, most all of us know it. As a matter of fact, if you go to a ball game, you'll often see someone holding it up. Go to a NASCAR race, pretty sure you'll see someone holding it up. We quote it often. But how often do we pause to think about what it really means. What is the impact of this amazing love? And the cross. The cross is an interesting image of our faith. It is the symbol of our faith. We see the cross everywhere. We wear it around our necks. We hang the cross on our walls, both here at the church and our homes and various places. It's an odd image, though, to display if we really think about it. Fleming Rutledge, great pastor, preacher, and teacher, shares that you and I are so accustomed to looking at crosses around people's necks and on top of steeples that we are immune to the shock of it. Now think about that. We are immune to the shock of it. I mean, what's the shock of the cross? This was a tool of the death penalty. And not many of us would wear a, a necklace of a little electric chair around our necks. Or would we hang um, a picture of gallows on our walls? Or a noose hanging on our walls or around our necks? No, it's an interesting image that we have as the symbol of our faith a symbol of the death penalty, of death, of one who died for us. And to make it even more interesting as we go through this holy week, as we walk with Jesus to Jerusalem, we walk with Jesus to the cross, we watch Him carry the cross before He's placed upon it, is Jesus is the Son of God. 
I mean, you remember the scripture where Jesus is asking, who do the people say that I am? And they give him answers. And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And, and the answer that Peter gives is, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the anointed one of God that we've been waiting for. And then he takes it to a whole new level and goes, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus blesses him for this affirmation and for this faith, changes his name and says, on that I can build a church that the gates of hell will never prevail against. So who's on this cross? It's God himself. Jesus, God in the flesh, God incarnate, according to John 1.14, this cross holds our own Savior and Lord. And we'd like in some ways just to go, can we not talk so much about the cross? Let's just move on to Easter Sunday. Love Easter Sunday. Pull out the new clothes, brighter ties, brighter dresses, brighter outfits. We go outside and play with the kids. We pick up the eggs and we have a great time. But you cannot truly celebrate Easter until you've gone through Good Friday. You can't celebrate a resurrection of the body unless you've gone through the experience of the crucifixion or the death of that body and that body being placed in a grave. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having this interesting conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. That means he was one of the religious leaders. He was one of those who had agreed to dot every I, cross every T. The word Pharisee means a separated one. It was a commitment to a lifelong of faithfulness to the law of God. Those first five books of the Bible seeking to be faithful to who God had called him to be. He was a teacher of the law. We're told that he's part of the council. He's part of the ruling body of the Jewish faith, the Jewish community. So he was a very prominent man. And he comes up to Jesus at night. John tells us the story, and go back to John chapter 1 and then read the whole gospel, and you'll see that, that light and darkness is an important theme in the book of John. Light, that revelation from God, God's light shining upon the world, and darkness being where sin and evil tends to reside. It's a place where we can hide our true selves. Nicodemus comes up to Jesus at night. Maybe he didn't want the other Pharisees to, to be asking, what were you doing talking to Jesus? I saw you with Jesus. What were you doing with Jesus? He comes to Jesus at night and he calls him Rabbi. Rabbi. He knows that, that Jesus is a teacher and he even says, we know that you come from God. Nobody can do the kind of things that you're doing unless God is with you. He recognizes you are a holy man. God is clearly with you. He sees him right now as rabbi, as teacher. Jesus looks at him and cuts right to the chase. One of the things I love about the Gospel of John is John teaches us that Jesus has the ability to see directly into our hearts. With most people, we try to protect what they're able to see. We present the image that we want people to see. Jesus is able to look directly into the heart and see what's actually going on. And he looks at Nicodemus and he said, you must be born again. 
You must be born anew. You must be born from above. Now the Greek word there is anathen, which means above, anew, again. You've got to be born fresh. You've got to have a fresh start, a new beginning. Nicodemus is fully confused at this point, and he's going, wait a minute, I am an old man, I'm an older guy. How in the world can I be born again? Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? What are you talking about? And Jesus explains to him, he said, you must be born of both water and the Spirit. Now water, that's a reference to a a physical, biological birth. I mean, we know that that the birth of a human being is a water birth. I mean, actually, that's one of the the signs that, that a child is coming, is when we have the water And so Jesus says, you've got to be born physically, yes. But then you're to be born again of the Spirit. A spiritual rebirth. That that you're to be born of the flesh, but then allow God to come and breathe upon you and be born of the Spirit. And then Jesus takes him back to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Nicodemus would have known the Scripture like the back of his hand. He was one who had dedicated his life to studying these scriptures, to knowing them. He taught these scriptures. So Jesus goes all the way back to Numbers 21, around verse 4, and he says to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, if you go back in your Bibles to Numbers 21, beginning at verse 4, you'll see that the people of God are are going through the wilderness, and all of a sudden we're told they become impatient along the way, and and they begin to whine and complain. And look at what the Scripture says in verse 5. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Not only, Moses, what are you doing? But they're actually now complaining against God and Moses. Well, when I was growing up, sometimes my mother would say, I have about had it up to here. That was the sign that we were just about at the limit point. I've had it up to here. You never wanted to go any higher than here. If you went higher than here, it was no fun. I've had it up to here. And this is where God goes, I've about had it up to here. These people are complaining against me. I've delivered them. I've protected them. I've given them all these signs. And now once again, they're complaining. And so all of a sudden, all these venomous snakes are there and they're biting the people. And the people realize and they come up to Moses and goes, we sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away these serpents from us. So Moses prayed to God. And the Lord says to him in verse 8, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze, put it on a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, then that person would look at the serpent of the bronze and live. Jesus reaches back and goes, remember how when the people were dying, when the people were were experiencing the consequences of their sin and brokenness and they were dying, Moses then took the serpent and lifted it up in the wilderness so that they could be saved. Well, now even must the Son of Man be lifted up. And we know that that actually is going to refer to the cross 
Now that word lifted up in the Greek is hupsoo, which actually means exalted. So must the Son of Man be exalted. You'll take the Savior of the world, God's only begotten Son, and He'll be exalted, but it's not going to look like a throne, not initially. Initially, His exaltation will be the cross, a heinous form of death by cruelty. And then Jesus, the masterful teacher, Nicodemus had called him rabbi. And wow, is Jesus teaching beautifully this point. He had just explained, you've got to be born again, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the Son of Man needs to be exalted now to save the world. And then he says, for God. See, when you hear for, that tells you this is connected to what Jesus just said. For God so loved the world. If you've been part of this church for long, you know that my favorite word in that verse is the word so. God so loved the world. If you want to see the impact of it, look at someone that you love and and say to them, I love you. Or look at them and say, I so love you. It takes it to a whole new level. And Jesus says that God not only loved the world, but he so loved the world. He was so moved by the world, his affection for the world, his his genuine embrace of his people, that agape love, that unconditional, unmerited, sacrificial love was so great that he gave his only begotten son, allowed him to be lifted up, just like Moses lifted up the serpent. God allowed Jesus to be lifted up, exalted upon the cross so that whosoever would believe in him would never perish, but would have everlasting life. And then Jesus goes on to say, indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather the whole point of Holy Week, the whole point of the coming of Jesus is so that the world might be saved through him. Jesus said, those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they've not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Wow. God so loved you because you're part of the world. You're one of the whosoevers. I... I, love to, during a funeral sometimes, take this verse and substitute the world for the name of the person who has died. Or read that scripture and and, and substitute for the world your name. Because God so loved you by name that he allowed his son, his only begotten son, to be exalted on the cross so that if you would believe in him, you would not perish. You won't experience the death like Jesus is about to experience, but rather you will have everlasting life in the fullness of his kingdom. That word for saved is the Greek sozo. It means to be saved. It means to be delivered. It means to be made whole. God desires to make you whole. This cross, 
This cross, it's a symbol of our salvation. And it is a reminder. It is a reminder that this symbol that we wear around our necks is a heinous symbol. It's the symbol of death, death by cruelty. And yet, it is also now for us the symbol of our salvation. For on this stick, on this pole that God now holds up, it holds His only begotten Son. So that if we will believe, we'll have this gift of God's salvation. The HarperCollins Study Bible says that understanding the significance of the crucified Jesus is essential to the spiritual healing that He provides. As a matter of fact, John will go on to tell us that Jesus says no one has greater love than this, than he who would lay down his life for his friends. This cross, this symbol that we see so much that Rutledge remind us we're kind of immune to it. For Paul, it was the center of his theology. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, Paul says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And in Paul's masterpiece, his letter to the church at Rome, in Romans 5, verse 8, Paul says, But God proves His love for us, proves His love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Peter? Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, He Himself bore our sins and His body on the cross, so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. And John, John tells us once again in 1 John 4, verse 10, and this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, lived during the time of Hitler. Bonhoeffer wrote, Everyone who forgives someone bears the other's sins. Someone pays the price. Someone experiences the guilt. Someone experiences the cost. And God so loved you that He forgave you, which means... He then took on the burden of your sin and my sin, of our brokenness. You see, God loves us. 
And God offers to forgive us if we accept Him as our Savior and our Lord. And thus God bore our sins. He, he took the guilt and shame and the penalty of our sins. Billy Graham, the great preacher and evangelist, says, The cross shows us the seriousness of our sin, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. John Stott, in The Cross of Christ, puts it this way. He said, The essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting Himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be, and God puts Himself where we deserve to be. This is our cross. This is our sin. And this is our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. I can't wait for Easter. But we can't get to Easter until we've experienced Good Friday. And Jesus looks in our hearts just like He did with Nicodemus. And He said, you see, you must be born again. You must be born anew. You must be born from above. But then he explains how that happens. You see, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, God is willing to put his kid on a pole, his son on a cross, to exalt Jesus the Christ on the cross, allowing him to die a heinous death by cruelty so that we might be forgiven, that through his body and his blood, we can experience the cleansing by his grace. So as we go through Holy Week, the question for us is, is he our Savior? For this is definitely our cross. So Jesus then looks at you once again in the eyes right now and says, For God so loves you that if you will believe in Him, you will never perish, but will have everlasting life. Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for this amazing love. And God, we pray that the crosses we wear around our necks, that we place on our steeples, we hang on our walls, we stand up in our sanctuaries, will never just be decoration, but will be that reminder of your amazing love. God, help us, your people, your church, to never be immune to the shock and the awe of the cross. For you were willing, for you so loved each of us by name that you gave your only begotten Son 
so that if we would believe in you, we would never perish but have everlasting life. And God, we pray that your death would never be in vain, that we will accept you then as our Savior and Lord and experience the redemption and the grace that only you can give, for you are the only Son of God. So God, I pray for each one right now who is part of this worship experience, and may we all give our hearts and our lives to you, and may you dwell in our hearts and our lives as both our Savior and our Lord. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. For God so loved the world, and that includes you. Amen.